good morning, everybody. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so glad that you are choosing to spend your Sunday morning worshiping with us, and I pray that you find something meaningful today. We've been spending the last three, I don't know, four weeks uh, talking about um, emotions, and not just, you know, any emotions, but, you know, uncomfortable emotions. You know, those things that we we try to avoid, but seem to be bubbling up because of recent events. And, and I think that it's important that we learn how to, to deal with these, with these feelings that we're having um, for a couple of reasons. First, they're God-given and they're not going away. I think that's the important thing to remember, that emotions are given to us by God as a way to help us understand how the world is unfolding around us. So they're they're not, they're not something that, that we can choose to not have. We're, we're going to have emotions. And, and I also think, too, that um, if your emotions go unchecked, they can, they can lead you into some really unhealthy places. Let me get a little PG-13 here for a moment. But very often, um, when we have those uncomfortable feelings, we medicate them. We, we try to, to soothe them over, and we can use things like food, or like sex, or substances like drugs and alcohol, or even shopping to help us feel better, either, you know, not necessarily permanently, but for a little bit. And uh, the problems don't actually go away, but we do kind of cover them up and set them off to the side, even for a short period of time. And there's a pretty persuasive argument out there that asserts all addictions are sourced in past pain and the associated emotions. So when you meet an addict, um, whatever their choice of, of addiction is, um, usually has something to do with medicating that past pain that they're having. So keep that in mind when you come across people who are dealing with those types of issues. And you know what, the other, the other thing that comes to mind when we, when we talk about all this is it might be why we're seeing so many emotions kind of spilling out into the streets of certain cities around the country. I mean, if you think about it, most people don't know how to handle their emotions. They don't know how to deal with them productively or effectively or even in a healthy way. And so all that energy has got to go somewhere. And of course, the pandemic has eliminated or at least significantly restricted the distractions. And it's not like you can, you know, just go out and do something else and distract yourself from how you're feeling. You're kind of stuck with them. So it's like a pressure cooker. And like I said, all of that energy has to go somewhere. And I really think that we're seeing this not just on a personal level, um, with the pandemic, but we're also seeing it on a, on a societal level. And so let's talk about raw emotions um, to wrap this little interlude up. Uh, we kind of injected this in the middle of our study of the book of James, and, and I want to want to wrap this up. And, and um, to do that, we're going to look at, at the poet again. And I think it's an appropriate place to do it. And so I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 109. 
If you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, go ahead and plug that in. Psalm 109, the poet who is likely King David has a complaint. And you're going to see something truly extraordinary happen within the words of this poem or the song or this prose. And here, here we go. Psalm 109, beginning with verse 1. The poet says, My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues. There's the complaint. But he goes on, with words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. There's a certain amount of disgust here. Um, like I said, it's a complaint. Something has happened and the, the poet has some emotions. But he goes on. Verse 6, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. You feel that emotion a little bit? Things are picking up. But as he writes, there's even more begins to snowball. Verse 9, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. The wife and kids? Really? I mean, the poet's upset. You saw how it started from a complaint, and now there's, there's a lot more emotion that's beginning to bubble up. If you remember, uh, in, at least in the New Testament, the word for anger is rooted in the idea of the fruit that's beginning to fill with juice. And you can see it actually happen here in these words. Oh, and by the way, uh, he's not done. It gets even uglier. Verse 13, may his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. Yeah, he's going after his opponent's mama. May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their name from the earth. Yeah, not just the wife and kids, but his parents, his lineage, his descendants, all of that. A lot of emotion that's here. You can feel the tension rising in the words. It's almost like a blast radius. He's so angry that not only does he want to, to punish the individual that has offended him, but virtually everybody associated with him. It feels like a mafia movie, doesn't it? It's like a speech you would, you would hear the mafioso say you know, to either one of his enemies or to his friends or whatever. It feels that way. He finally turns his attention back to this un unnamed enemy that has um, offended him. 
Here's what he says. For he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. (laughs) May it come back to him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. Hmm. Goes on. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered his body, into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped about him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. This is about as raw as it gets. It's loaded with hurt and with with rage, frankly. And and let's be honest, the venom and hatred that we see here is, is frankly, it's shocking, right? I mean, there's a part of you that's saying, this is in the Bible? Yeah, truly it is. And by the way, um, there are other poems written by the same poet that are even more horrific than this. But you have to remember um, that this is a person who has, you know, actual feelings. And what I think it underscores for me is that human beings haven't changed a whole lot in, what, three or 4,000 years when this was written. We still feel the same things. We may not say them out loud because we're polite or, <laughs> or more enlightened or somehow, but the fact of the matter is, is we felt this way. Every single one of us have. And so the poet was awful. He's hate-filled. However, the thing of it is that I want you to remember more than anything else, he was real. The poet was real. And I believe that this emotional volcano that we just read actually introduces us to something. It actually introduces us to something. I'm trying to think of the right word. I think it introduces us to true discipleship. Now, it seems a little strange, doesn't it? That We see this horrible emotion and how that relates to discipleship. Let me see if I can try to explain this. Look, we must be real with God to be his disciple. I want you to think about that, is that you have to be real with God in order to be his disciple. And if that's truly the case, and I believe it is, that means that we have to be real with ourselves first. We gotta deal with ourselves first. But we have to be real with God. In his landmark Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made an an extraordinary um, and challenging statement. It's in Matthew chapter five. Let me put it up on the screen so that you can see it. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, please understand, Jesus is up on a mountain. He's teaching a large group of people, and this would have shocked and electrified that crowd. Why? Because the Pharisees were perceived as the most righteous of anyone. They're very pious. They followed all the rules. They tried to live up to the covenant. They were good Jewish people. At least that's what they were attempting to do. 
And what Jesus is saying here is like, ah, wait a second. You have to exceed them in your righteousness. And if you don't, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a bit puzzling. You have this group of people who are perceived to be the pinnacle of righteousness. But a quick look around Matthew's biography of Jesus, this gospel of Matthew, if you do any amount of reading, you know you know that uh, the Pharisees have a lot of righteousness on the outside, but once you get below the surface, yeah, not so much. Not so much at all. Jesus accuses them of you know, a lot of, of um, problems within their heart. And if you're going to be more righteous than a Pharisee, <laughs> then you have to to deal with the inside issue. You have to deal with the heart, not just the appearance on the outside. That's the charge that Jesus is making. Is like, look, you can act like the Pharisees, but if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be more righteous. And if you're going to do that, you've got to deal with what's on the inside. And the whole sermon is about dealing with righteousness that comes from the inside out, not just the appearance of it. And in order to do that, you've got to be real. Look, here, here's the thing. I, I want you to just think about this from your own perspective. If, if you come to God with bitterness and anger that is born out of hurt and you, you sit down and you pray a bunch of Christianese or nice platitudes or pious words, <laughs> do we really think that God doesn't know what's actually going on inside of us? Do you think he's not aware of the condition of our heart and, and how we are approaching him in prayer? See, the thing that I'm at once indicted and um, happy about is that God wants the real us. All of us. He wants the real part not just the one that we're pretending. That's hypocrisy. He's not interested in that. He's interested in what's going on on the inside. The part that we don't really want to share. It's the part that we're, we're hoping nobody sees. And yet God does. He sees all that. And so the challenge is that when you're in that dark place in your heart is to not stay there, is not to stay in the, in the darkness. Yes, the, the poet was shockingly real. I mean, just dealing with the raw emotion and, and all of the judgment and the hate. And he put that before the Lord. But I want you to understand something. He was also something else. He was also something else. And here it is. At the end of Psalm 109, there's a couple verses. I just want you to see these. The poet says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. That's real. That's the truth. I am feeling all of these emotions because there is a deep wound. Help me, Lord my God, save me according to your unfailing love. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord in the great throng of worshipers. I will praise him. Why? Why does he say this? Because the reality isn't just how he's feeling. He's also real enough to know 
that he has a need for God. He needs God. Yes, um, he wants justice. Let's be honest, it's not just justice he wants. He wants vengeance. He wants vengeance on that person and their entire family and all the associates. He wants the vengeance. But what he knows he needs is God. And that's a big shift. That's different. The poet also acknowledges his need for God. Look, it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to have a true intimate relationship with anyone without being real. You may have met some people like this in the past. Maybe you've dated them. (laughs) Maybe you married one. I hope not. You've come across someone who you always kind of felt like was holding back. Like they weren't telling you the full story. Like something was wrong and you didn't really know what it was. Could you trust them? You can't have a truly intimate relationship. You can't even really have a personal relationship with someone without being real. And it's got to go both ways. You know this deep down in your heart, and this is exactly what we try to do with God when we're not real with ourselves first. You know, we have a a saying around here that I'm going to modify a little bit. You've heard me say it before. It says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. I think it, it, it goes a little deeper. Come as you are, get real, but don't stay that way. Because God wants us to come to him as we are, but I think we have to be real about it. We have to be real with ourselves, and then we can be real with God. But don't stay there. Don't stay in that position of the hate and the, the, the bitterness and all of the junk that comes out. Acknowledge that there's a need for something else, a need for a Savior, a need for, for God, that you're actually wounded. You see, to be right with God, we have to be real with God first. In fact, I believe God gives us plenty of opportunity. Look, we live in a fallen and broken world, right? Nobody comes out untouched. None of us. And, and, and bad things will happen. Now, sometimes uh, it, it's by our own words or by our own actions. We cause some of those problems, but sometimes it doesn't. Bad things will happen. It's that kind of world. And emotions are powerful and they are associated with all of it. That's the reality of being human. And what God is doing is he's inviting us to live differently. To not live in the the mire of that emotion. He's asking us to be different. He's showing us how to be different, to not be a slave to emotion, um, nor medicating them at the same time. But here's the thing, you got to face them. You have to deal with them, and that's real. Unfortunately, fortunately, thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. God's not asking us to do it alone. Look, if you're feeling depressed, if you are feeling uh, angry, if you're feeling anxious, let me say it again, that's normal. Lockdown, pandemic, all of the craziness going on in the world and in our country, in our state, in our cities, 
in our neighborhoods, in our homes, all of the pressure that that brings. The emotions you're feeling are real and it's normal. It's all normal. And I think that God is saying to us through all of this, just wait till you see what I can do with that. Just, just bring them to me because I can do something with how you're, with your feeling. And maybe now that you don't have the distractions uh, because of lockdown, pandemic, maybe now God can have your attention and you can actually deal with some of this stuff. And so I'm going to encourage you, as I have this entire series, first to acknowledge how you're feeling. You got to be real before you can be right. You got to be real with it and simply take it to God and say, bottom line, God, I am depressed. God, I am so angry over this. Or, God, I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. See, it's interesting to me because the emotions that we feel are associated with time. If you're angry, you're dealing with something that happened in the past. If you're depressed, you are dealing with an emotion of right now. These are my circumstances. I am depressed about all of this. And if you're anxious, it's about the future. In all three of those things, if you're, you might feel all three of those you know, in an hour or in a day. <laughs> and again, it's normal. But you've got to acknowledge it. And you have to take it in front of, front of God. You have to acknowledge not only emotion, but your need for God to help you through that. And it's as simple as just stating it. God, would you speak to me about this? And then listen. And here's the other, other little component. This is the freebie. Maybe, maybe the way you're feeling, you might need somebody else to pray for you. That's why we're here. Do you understand that? That, you know, we don't just um, work at Thrive Church to put on a good production, but we're actually here to help you work through that stuff, to help pray for you, with you. Because we believe in a God who redeems even the junk that you're carrying in your heart. So here's the good news. This is the good news you need to hear today. So pay very close attention. This is the good news. God wants all of it. It's, it's not that he just wants the good part of you. It's not that he wants the talented part of you. Or, or just your positivity or your winning personality or any of that. It's not that he wants just that part. He wants all of it. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants all of it. Because ultimately he wants you. He wants you. You have to be willing to go there with him. But he wants you. And that's good news. I don't have to hold back from God. I don't have to hold back because he wants me, even the parts that I'm not proud of. But if he's a God of redemption, and he is, then he can take and make all of that junk, all that stuff, all that stuff that I'm not proud of, he can make it count for something. But you gotta be real, real enough to know your need for a savior. Let's pray. God, you made us. You made us emotional beings when you made us human. You've given us a gift of emotion to help us understand how the world is actually unfolding in front of us. 
And those emotions aren't going to go away. And so, Lord, we desperately need you to show us, to teach us, to love us through the pain and the suffering and the associated emotions with it so that we don't deal with them in an unhealthy, unproductive way. And Lord, I pray that every person who's listening would have a deep sense that you want them and you understand that there is some baggage that comes along with that and you are okay with it. That there's things that you want to do in our lives that you want to free us from that stuff that we've been dragging along for so long and we're so tired of it. And God, you want that too. So for the person who's praying right now, would you speak to their heart? Spirit, Spirit, speak to them in a way that they would understand. Help them experience you in a new way. Lord, give them courage to ask for help if they need it. Give them wisdom and insight to actually deal with emotions that they're feeling. God, I thank you um, for your word and for driving this series along to help us deal with the reality of our circumstances. Now help us, Lord, to be real with ourselves and real with you so we can be right with you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.